Welcome back to episode number 244 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety and injuries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about alignment sensors for bucket elevators as per NFPA 61, and we're doing that with Brian Knapp, Vice President of Electronics Division with 4B Components. And Brian's based out of Morden, Illinois. Brian, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Thank you, Chris. I'm happy to be here and I appreciate the invitation. I'm super excited as well. We actually had Brian on the podcast in a sideways way back in episode 146. That's going on two years ago now. And that was an Ask Me Anything session on hazard monitoring for bucket elevators and drag and belt conveyors. And that was actually based off a Ask Me Anything session we did probably three years ago or at least two and a half years ago in the Dust Safety Academy. We end up playing the replay on the podcast in episode 145 and 146. Uh, in today's episode, we're, we're actually revisiting that topic a bit. And that is based on a help desk question that we had come in through the help desk system at Dust Safety Science. For those that aren't aware, we do collect hundreds of individual help desk tickets across all of our platforms. And our team tries to answer where we can. And where we can't, we rely on experts like Brian and, and many others in our community to answer those tickets when they come in. So this one that came in, I'll read the actual request that came in. It uh, stated, is there a requirement from NFPA or other sources where rub block slash misalignment sensors should be placed on bucket elevators? I'm seeing two different stands in industry. One is two per head and tail, and one is four per head and tail. So our team took a crack at trying to answer this, at least by reviewing 61, and did find that in the appendices, there is discussion around belt alignment monitoring devices needing or being recommended for all elevator legs, bearing monitoring systems are recommended for head, tail, and bend pulley bearings on elevator legs, and other sections around monitoring forehead, tail, and knee pulley alignment and belt alignment. But there's no discussion around this question of, of redundant sensors. You're having multiple sensors, um, either two per head or four per head or tail. So that's when we sent the question over to Brian to get his input. And he really helped us uh, with some really good insights from his experience in industry. That's what we're going to capture here on the podcast today. So in this episode, we're going to talk about Brian's role a little bit in industry. What is the purpose of alignment sensors? Some of the requirements from NFPA 61. We may discuss some of the other standards um, related to this as well. And what are the best practices and benefits or challenges associated with um, using multiple sensors in this way? And that's what we're going to cover in this episode. So Brian, it's been two years since we had even a recording of you on the podcast. So maybe since we jump back in here, what is your current role and and what work do you do in industry today? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, 4B Components is is a company that does a lot of business within the grain and feed industry, amongst other industries, both in combustible dusts and, and other aggregates that that may not be combustible. And, and we have a material handling division that that manufactures elevator buckets and, and chain and, and bolts and, and, and those mechanical parts. Uh, then we also have an electronics division and the electronics division is primarily focused on the hazard monitoring components for preventing combustible dust explosions and also level indicators for monitoring bin level. My role within the company uh, as, as the vice president of the electronics division is, is centered around that electronics Department with primarily hazard monitoring components, like we're we're talking about today with the the belt misalignment sensors. So yeah, that that kind of sums up uh, what we do and in, in, in my role within the company. 
Yeah. And as Brian will know, and, and the audience that they've listened to our interactions, both through Dust Safety Academy, that Ask Me Anything session we did. And I think we've had you present a couple of times at the conference as well. Brian's one of my go-to folks on hazard monitoring, especially uh, as related to NFA 61 and those types of standards. This is just, it's such a focus of, of what you do in the electronics division that you're, you're the guy I always turn to. So with that in mind, what, what is the purpose or the point of alignment sensors on bucket elevators? You can kind of give us a breakdown too. What are the other types of sensor systems that people should be considering for bucket elevators or even other types of conveying equipment? Yeah, that's that's right, Chris. There's, there's uh, generally going to be a few different ignition sources that we're trying to prevent uh, with the, the mechanical portion of the bucket elevators. Three common ignition sources are heat that's generated from, from belt slip or belt misalignment being another source that we're talking about here. The belts, if they misalign and start rubbing against the machine casing, that's going to generate a lot of heat. And that heat could become a potential ignition source for dust. In addition to that, wear is going to affect the lifetime of the belt. It's going to eventually cut holes in the machine casing. So from a preventative maintenance and um, an overall lifetime of the equipment, it's another factor even in those environments that, that may not be combustible dust applications. And then the third type of ignition source that, that we're trying to prevent is, is bearing temperatures. They're, so bearings that are overheating, uh, which could be due to a lack of, of maintenance or just uh, every bearing but we like to let people know, I mean, yes, you extend the lifetime of the bearings by greasing them and doing the regular preventive maintenance that, that the manufacturer requires, but every bearing is going to have a finite life. Eventually, that bearing is going to fail. And generally, what happens when that bearing fails is it, it generates heat, and, and that heat could ignite grain dust but um, or other combustible dusts. But but again, this, this particular case, the, the belt alignment, for uh, monitoring, um, and I say belt alignment, but but there's also pulleys that the the belt at both the head and the tail that can misalign as well. So, so we're trying to detect a, a misalignment of the belt or the pulley, and be able to let the operator know or automatically shut off the equipment before that becomes a, a dangerous situation that that could lead to a fire or explosion. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I would um, encourage if the listener is interested in other types of hazard monitoring, so the belt slip, the bearing overheating, also like shoot blocking, there, you probably have a better word for that, but other yeah, types of hazards. Condition, yeah, plug, plug condition. Plug condition is how we would define that. And that's part of the monitoring, um, and the, the whole picture as well. The plug isn't going to generate heat, but that material will fill into the boot of the bucket elevator or, or into the conveyor and and lead to a situation where the belt's going to start slipping or misaligning. So it's kind of a, a pre-indication in addition to, to preventing you know, the belt slip or belt misalignment. It also prevents them from having to dig out the, the equipment because it packs full of material. Yeah. And it can, can start smoldering if it's packed and there's a bunch of things that kind of come in there. And so those are all covered back in that episode 145, 146 of the podcast. We, we sort of went through and presentations you gave at the dust safety conferences as well, where I think you even think you had a demo at one point where you were you were running the thing and going through and showing things being misaligned and the impact of that. Today, we're going to be talking about the belt alignment piece of this. And you made a really good point here. It's not necessarily just the belt that could be misaligned. It could also be the pulleys on other side of the belt as well. 
what are the different types of alignment sensors? I mean, you hear about rub blocks. Are there other types of sensors that might be used here as well? Yeah, there's there's going to be different, uh, well, I guess a variety of different sensors that could be used. One of the, the most popular options is, is called a rub block. And the way it detects the belt misalignment is from the contact. So your belt comes over and, and that rub block should be the first point of contact for the belt or the pulley uh, when it misaligns. So basically you would typically cut a hole in the machine casing and you would mount this. There'd be a plate on the outside, the brass uh, block being the, the sensing portion or the contact portion of it. That would be thick enough to go in past the, the the wall of the bucket elevator, and then the uh, belt rubbing against the brass, the, the friction we were talking about earlier, that, that is your potential ignition source. That's going to be detected by a temperature probe in the brass. the The indication there is the heat generated from the belt, and, and the temperature increasing or reaching a certain threshold to to alert the operator and or shut off the equipment automatically before it gets too hot. Uh, so that's that's one technology. There's also some sensors uh, that are force activated where it's it's more of an instantaneous misalignment detection when the belt misaligns. And different customers have different preferences depending on what they're comfortable with, what they're they've historically used, and maybe how their facility operates. The the contact type misalignment sensors will obviously give you more alarms and so if if they tend to have this belt situation where it occasionally comes over and taps up against that sensor they may not not want to shut down every time that happens because maybe it just happens when they initially start loading the the bucket elevator and, and everything kind of shifts over for a couple of seconds or maybe maybe they prefer that that it does shut down immediately because the heat generated in the brass is something they're they're wanting to avoid in the first place. So it, it kind of depends on the the safety guys, the operators, the the managers at the facility and how they want the equipment to behave when they do get a belt misalignment. And that's part of, of what the question was related to, I, I think, is that is there guidance within these standards to tell you what type of sensor to use or how many sensors to use? And I would say that the NFPA guidelines, the, the OSHA the NFPA standards and the OSHA standards are both going to be pretty um, open-ended on that. But they don't yeah. necessarily want to pigeonhole what type of technology that you have to use for, for those applications. Yeah, and so that's what I—that's what our team found when we looked at sixty-one, uh, specifically rather. It does say for inside legs that they they shall have, and then it does say recommended for all elevator legs and the appendices as well. Uh, but it doesn't say anything about the redundant sensors. Doesn't I call them redundant sensors? That might not be the right terminology, but we'll we'll get to that here in a second. But you know, four per head and tail instead of two per head and tail. Uh, what types you need, and those are really configurations, like you said, they're going to depend on what what's needed at the site. Is it okay to have the belt slide over and hit the the side of the block when things starting up? Well, uh, it very well might be. It just depends on on what kind of temperature that creates and how much you know dust. If you have suction on on the system and there's not much dust in there, then it may be less of a hazard. So it's really depends on your whole hazard assessment. I think we probably covered that the requirements in sixty one do you know at least recommend monitoring 
device or belt alignment, but are there any other requirements that we missed here from 61 or other standards that make sense before we get into kind of best practice and what you see industry doing here? Yeah, I believe the NFPA 61 may also require in that statement you mentioned shall uh, for the inside bucket elevators. I think that includes the pulley monitoring as well for, for head, tail, and knee pulleys. Okay. Um, so yeah. some, sometimes there's an additional pulley on near the boot section of, of the bucket elevator. And so that should be monitored as well. Um, yeah, I do see bucket that. Elevators. Oh, go ahead. Yes, I do see that here. Um, this is 2020 version. It might have been updated since then, but let's say inside legs shall have monitors for head, tail, and knee pulley alignment and belt alignment, specifically kind of broken out there. Okay. Yes. And 2020 is the, the newest version of the, okay. the NFPA 61. Uh, there is another section near the bucket elevator section for belt conveyors as well. And uh, I believe there's a requirement in there for monitoring the head and tail belt alignment on belt conveyors. Okay. So that, I mean, that kind of generally leaves, it doesn't say much about how many sensors in that. I guess before we get, what's your interpretation of why somebody would be asking about two sensors per head or per head? Is it a redundant sensor thing or am I even using the right terminology there? Probably should ask you that before yeah. we start recording. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I think you probably got that terminology from my response to, to okay. the question that, that was raised because I wasn't sure how else to define the, the two versus four sensors. And, and for the, the listeners out there, a bucket elevator is, is going to be a, a vertical conveying piece of conveying equipment. And at the bottom of that bucket elevator, there will be a pulley, which, which we call the boot or the tail pulley. And then at the top of the, the bucket elevator, there'll be a head pulley. And so the belt goes around the, the head and the tail and back up to the head. And so there's kind of, if you think about the head and the, the boot being aligned between the two, those are going to be the two extreme points of that belt. And so if the belt misaligns, it, it tends to happen at one of those two extremes, either either at the head or at the at the boot. And so conventionally, what we see like equipment manufacturers supplying for, for cutouts for, for these rub blocks it is going to be one pair of sensors at the head and one pair of sensors at the boot. And those sensors would be mounted to where the edge of the belt would come over if it misaligns and, and make contact with that sensor. And the belt could misalign in either direction. So if, if you're standing behind this, this bucket elevator and, and watching how the, the, the buckets go up and, and then discharge the material out, there's kind of a, a right-hand side that we would define and a left-hand side this bucket elevator. And so we could say the belt can misalign to the right or to the left. And so that's why we have a pair at the head because if the belt misaligns to the right, we need a sensor there. If it misaligns to the left, we need a sensor there. And then this question of whether to have two sensors or four sensors comes into play. Well, you know, if, if everything's in a perfect world, I guess, uh, as I described it, everything's going to be perpendicular there that the, the belt if it misaligns, it's going to be pretty much um, even on both the side of the belt that goes up with the material and then the side that comes down. But yep. in reality, if, if something goes wrong, I, I think that's one of the, 
one of the theories behind this. I, I don't have any, and I'll say I don't have any concrete proof or, or any explanation. And maybe somebody will hear this podcast and it'll come to you, Chris, and say, no, that's Brian's completely wrong. This is why we do it. But in, in I, I don't pocket, they'll say that Brian's completely wrong, but they may, <laughs> they may chime in and say, hey, I, I saw this. Um, yeah. I saw this happen <laughs> in, in a certain way. And I'll actually yeah. I'll jump in on that point. I've talked to incident investigators post explosion um, that found rub blocks chopped in half. So I, I don't know how. I don't know if they were sensing mechanism was no longer sensing or if they're like I'm not sure why, but they determined that that was what happened. Is the the belt had gone through the rub block into the casing and that was the ignition source. And their justification for that was the belt block was was in two pieces beside the equipment. Yeah. So they are, it is important. I don't know why that didn't trigger something in that case, but uh, the, the whole point was whoever that was, and I think I know who it was, but they may listen to this as well and say, oh yeah, no, this, that was be interesting to know which side of the that was melted on <laughs> or, or if it does happen on one side or the other like that. Anyway, I'll let you get back into it. So the summary right now is, a bucket elevator has a head and a tail pulley. You need two. You need a pair of sensors for each contact point so it can move left into the casing or move right into the casing. And then I think the two or four that we're talking about is either having one pair at the head and one pair at the, the boot. And we might talk about which side those should go on. I'm not sure. Or having two pair at the head and two pair at the boot to monitor both the upwards and the downwards sides of the, the bucket elevator if you're standing on the side of it. I think that if I if I drew the picture right that you're talking about, I think that's where we sort of left off. Uh, what's the kind of next point there? Yeah, and I'll I'll come back to the rub block cutting through uh, discussion. You might have been the one that told me. If you are, you don't have to say it. But it was a couple of years ago. No, no, it's it's something we've we've definitely experienced, or it was something that um, led to, to some of the technologies we use now based on customers, many customers seeing that same sort of issue. Okay. But, but let's, uh, we'll come back to that at the end. The, let's, yeah. let's finish with the sensor side of things mm-hmm. or the, so um, the, yeah, the, the redundant sensor. Yeah. And the explanations that, that I've heard are, are you know, as, as follows, particularly let's, let's start with the head section because there's, there's some, some differences between the, the head and the boot that, that'll, play into this as well. So at the head of the bucket elevator, they're going to get everything installed for mechanically with those those bearings and the shaft and the pulley and everything to, to try to get it all level to get it so that everything is going to be even there. And once that's in, adjusted, that pulley is not going to be moved around to tension the belt. It's just going to stay in that, that same orientation. So it's it's generally going to be fairly easy to mount a sensor at the head pulley that can detect both the belt and the pulley because the belt's in contact with that pulley for the top half of the pulley so so like 180 degree arc there and so generally you can you can detect either one with with one sensor and then this question or one pair of sensors and then this question about do we need a second pair of sensors some of the things that i've i've heard People say maybe this is why would be if if there's something mechanically with that machine casing, let's say one side of the, the casing is bowing in and the other side maybe is, is bowing out. We'll say the up and the down sides uh, of that pulley. So if you're if you're looking at the edge of the pulley, we'll say like you know, three o'clock and nine o'clock on there. 
maybe the three o'clock's bowing out a quarter of an inch and then the nine o'clock's bowing in a quarter of an inch. And if you put it on the three o'clock, then you're a half inch further away from the pulley than you are on, on the nine o'clock side. So Makes that's, sense. you know, one possibility. Another would be if uh, I've heard maybe if, if a bearing was to, to fail to the point where the balls fly apart and, and the race is gone. And, and so things are pretty loose where the, the shaft is inside the housing or even maybe a thousand cracks that, that maybe the shaft could sort of go crooked a little bit. And so that if the pulley or the belt was to misalign, one edge would make contact before the other. Both kind of what I would refer to as edge cases, I guess. It's it's not something that, that we really encounter that much. And, and my, my assumption is that there has been one or more instances where something like that has happened where, where you have some commercial grain elevators that, that, that have hundreds of locations around the U.S. and Canada and other parts of the world. And then they probably had something happen that they had the sensors in place and, and maybe they had one pair of sensors and something happened that the belt and pulley didn't make contact with those. And, and so, you know, this is all about managing risk for them that they felt that if they had another pair of sensors there that they're going to have less risk of, of missing something catastrophic that happens like that you know, well, that makes sense right? belt, the, the temperature doesn't care the heat that's gonna if the the shaft slips in the direction away from the sensor or if the casing is not even like you said if it moves over time or shifts um acutely or or chronically both cases, you really don't want that thing, the belt rubbing up against the casing on that side and not triggering your sensor on the other side. That's really undetectable at that stage um, until it wears through and maybe maybe you'll you'll find it other ways before before something happens. But I, I can see where those cases would actually potentially require um, sensors on both sides. And, and like you said, those may be edge cases. They may not too. I don't know. I'd have to think about it a little, little bit. I don't know how many bucket elevators have to run before you'd find one of those something like that could happen <laughs> there's, there's a lot of right. bucket elevators out there so um, yeah, okay so any other more, kind of reasons why they might put that on right and the more assets you have the, the more likely you are to run into those sorts of edge, edge cases but um, it's it's one of those things that's you know, sometimes challenging enough to convince people to put in any yeah. belt alignment monitor any monitoring systems let alone trying to to go to that to that nth degree or just weld um, the new plate on the whole that rubs the hole through <laughs> yeah, yeah we don't 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 want to do that but um <laughs> you, you yeah, see so, some of that patchwork done you, you more with screw conveyors than, than other systems but yeah uh, okay any other any other cases where um you might see that redundant sensors could what we're calling redundant sensors here sensors on both sides could be useful yeah so um if we look at the, the boot section of the bucket elevator, there is going to be uh, the belt adjustment is, is going to be accomplished through that boot pulley. So over time, the belt stretches. And I've heard factors like within the first year of, of installation of a new belt, it could stretch 1%, which doesn't sound like much. It's only 1%. But when the belt's 200 feet long, you know, that's two feet of stretch. That, that you'd yeah, have to, that's a lot of stretch. To, Mm -hmm. And so you need to tension it and they may have to re-splice the belt because they, they run out of adjustment in the boot pulley as well. 
those two things, both needing to adjust the boot pulley and and then needing to move it back up if you resplice the belt, um, could require some additional alignment sensors at the boot because your take up could be, let's say it is two feet long and you want to be able to detect both the belt and the pulley when there's a misalignment. If you just have one pair of sensors, somehow you have to position that to be able to detect the belt no matter where the pulley is and also detect the, the pulley no matter where the pulley is. And that can be difficult to do. So sometimes you will have additional uh, belt alignment sensors at the boot section of the, the bucket elevator so that you can have at least one pair in line with the belt and the pulley at all times, no matter where it's at in the in the take up. Have you ever seen more than two in the boot? Like say up to four if you want to do both sides and and both four pairs if you want to do both sides and well, maybe not both sides of the pulley. Maybe that wouldn't make sense. But yeah, question, would you have you seen practically people do more than that? Or is that sort of the limit that you usually see? Um, you know, it's it's probably has happened out there. I don't know if I've seen a, a facility that, that's done that firsthand, but but I wouldn't be surprised if that is the requirement for that company that monitor both sides of the belt, the up and the down side. And then they find that the the alignment sensors are not going to be able to detect the pulley at all times as well, that, that they would probably go to eight sensors at the boot. And um, one of the things you, you kind of touched on earlier, what are the, the advantages and disadvantages of doing that for a company that's manufacturing hazard monitoring equipment? I mean, obviously. Sounds, sounds you know, good. <laughs> you know, yeah. It, it, first of all, I'll say it was not, it was not our suggestion to, to companies to add more and more belt alignment sensors. But, you know, the cost is obviously going to be a, a factor in doing that. And it's not just the cost of the belt alignment sensors. You also have to factor in the installation cost to, to get those mounted to the machine, to get the wires pulled. And then the cost of any input cards or input um, controllers or, or however they're taking that information and turning it into an alarming system. So... So that's going to be the the main disadvantage to that type of approach is just the the added cost and and ongoing maintenance costs of you know if sensors get damaged if things need to be replaced and and things like that it's it's just additional points to to maintain. Yeah, it makes sense. And I kind of want to close up on any final words on sensors or or bucket lever sensors or any other other type of systems, but. I do want to circle back to the, the rub blocks and yes. kind of getting cut in half because you mentioned you might have a, a story or or, in, or input on that. Yeah, yeah. So the um, the rub blocks being brass, I mentioned you're you're monitoring the the temperature when when the belt misaligns, and, and you're not going to get an instantaneous belt misalignment detection. So when what what we found with the contact type sensors that, that are force activated is you get a lot more misalignment alarms and it tends to be because there are factors like you know this this belt is, is not just one continuous piece of rubber there are two ends to the belt and they're spliced together and then sometimes the belt gets damaged and so it gets spliced together again and you end up with two or three or four splices in, the, in this one belt and it's really difficult to get those 
splices perfectly square. What that results in is, is whenever that splice gets to the pulley, the head pulley, the boot pulley, the belt's going to tend to move a little bit. So it's going right. to move in one direction or another. So most of the time, the belt may not be making contact with the sensor. But when the, when the splice comes by the pulley, it shifts over a little bit and your belt wears against that brass block a little bit. It's not enough to heat it up and trigger an alarm. But when that happens in every, just about, let's say it happens every 30 seconds or 60 seconds or whatever, and you're running this thing for, for eight hours a day, over time, it's going to wear into that brass. And so that's one factor that can, can result in you wearing through the brass and maybe never getting an alarm. So it's, it's important for the company, for their maintenance program, preventative maintenance to inspect those those blocks on a regular basis to make sure that they're not showing wear or that they're not worn through so far that you're you're not going to be able to to generate any heat on it anymore and the other aspect or the, the other situation where this could happen is if the belt misaligns and you get an alarm and the belt just keeps rubbing and then the alarm goes away well Somebody should also go out at that point and, and inspect the rub block because the alarm may have gone away because it's worn all the way through the brass at that point. So they got the alarm and it just kept rubbing and wearing into it. And then the alarm goes away because there's no brass left. No, so, no more problem. <laughs> yeah, that's the approach I think that that has um, changed a lot within the industry over over the years is with education and and the information you guys provide about the. The combustible dust incidents with, with fires and explosions and, and the number of um, people that get injured and, and all these sorts of things. You know, some of the people we've talked to over the years, it starts with the, the conversation being your, your equipment shutting us down. And it's kind of like, well, that's good. That's what it's designed to do. The equipment's there to shut you down so you don't have a fire and explosion and, and educating these people. And let's let's find the, the root cause of this problem. The rub block is alarming because it's belt misaligning. The way to solve that is to get the belt to not misalign anymore, which sounds easy enough from where I'm sitting. But for the guys doing maintenance, there like, there could be a whole host of reasons why the belt's misaligning. They may have issues with having three or four splices in the belt, so so they've got to totally replace the belt in buckets. They may have to replace the lagging on the pulley, which is what keeps friction between the belt and the pulley when it wears it can lead to belt slippage but also make it harder to keep the belt tracking so the belt may misalign more they may have issues where the pulley is no longer level and so everything's tending to try to go to one side so maintenance is a, is a huge part of it but you know generally the the first approach that customers or end users should have operators when this equipment shuts them down is, is trying to figure out what mechanically is going on to, to cause this to shut down rather than what's wrong with the system that's shutting me down yeah. when it's probably yeah, it should, it should be down. treated as a near miss first until mm-hmm. proven otherwise i'd say proven otherwise is probably a good way to put it like if you can't figure it out why it shut down then you should probably still assume it was the the bad side of things that was the reason even if you can't figure it out i heard this really good saying the other day I'm not going to remember it good enough. It was, it was something along the lines of, if you can't figure out why you're doing something right, then you'll never do it right again. But if you can't figure out why you're doing something wrong, you'll always do it wrong again. So it's, it's kind of like that. Yeah. So tree is a near miss. If you can't, if you can't figure out why it happened, 
then it should still probably be treated as near miss. And if you can prove that, hey, it was, it really was a um, sensor's fault, then okay, then, then call Brian <laughs> and yeah. get it figured out. But at least take a look at it first. Yeah, and um, if, if you know these these people that, that are operating, you know, they they know how a facility needs to run, how to, to, to unload trucks and rail cars and load barges and ships and all those sorts of things. Their their daily activity shouldn't be becoming an expert on on how a hazard monitoring electronic system works. devices yeah, yeah. and the uh, conductivity of copper to, and such yeah, yeah. You know, it shut me down if it's not obvious why it's happening then then call the manufacturer and, and talk to their technical support and get it figured out no it makes sense um i, I do want to thank you i uh I, I learned something new every podcast episode that i do basically which is great it's a secret trick i've learned 244 things now um but i i hadn't comprehended the rub blocks and, and what might happen there especially with the splice it makes sense when you say it, if it's just cutting through slowly say slowly but you know every rotation of the the elevator um and then once the thing actually slips like a hazardous slip and go right through the block and into the casing without actually even triggering or like you said if it's a treat as a nuisance alarm and then stops someday it's like oh that's great <laughs> and, and then that's that's when it's going to smash in the casing as well because you've, you've not cut through the block that's why your alarm stopped um, so I, I appreciate that. Any other final words you want to leave folks off with on hazard monitoring, bucket elevators, other types of uh, systems, anything else for today? Um, yeah, I think, I think uh, just keep learning, keep educating yourself on um, what your facility is doing and, and audit, I guess, your your facility to make sure that you have the monitoring equipment and protection that, that you need both for, I mean, we've talked about the NFPA standards, but but also what what makes sense for your facility. It doesn't have to just be insurance policy for preventing these these dust explosions. Um, obviously, that's a very important reason to to have it, but it helps keep your your facility running uh, smoother and providing longer life for for your equipment and and, and all those sorts of things as well. So um, it is it is extremely valuable as is, is a preventative maintenance tool as, as much as safety yeah what do they say uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure or, or something like that i i don't want to say that i do want to say thank you again brian for coming on the podcast um and thank you for being a contributor with dust safety science dust safety academy the podcast the conference um we keep having you back because like i said you're there's there's a lot of folks that cover a lot of things in combustible dust but you're one of the few that is is very focused on exactly the, the one subset of things you do, which a lot of time is hazard monitoring on on these types of systems. So you're you're a wealth of knowledge in this area, and, and I appreciate you coming on. Um, I look forward next time somebody has a help desk question on this topic to reach out again. Well, yeah, and I appreciate uh, you having me on here again, Chris. It's always good to speak to you, and, and you're a fantastic host. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Brian Knapp. Vice President of Electronics Division with 4B Components based out of Morton, Illinois. We've been discussing this help desk question around alignment sensors for bucket elevators, and in particular focused on NFPA 61. Um, there are some slight differences with the other NFPA standards related to bucket elevators in particular. So if you do have questions about that, and that's also going to play into how NFPA 660 and the amalgamate standard comes about, um, reach out. We can talk about that. We can get Brian back on the podcast, talk through some of those differences in the future as well. In today's episode, we talked through 
the typical configuration of a bucket elevator and why sensors are needed. We talked about the different types of sensors, belt slip, um, bearing overheating, and then belt alignment, which was the focus today. For belt alignment, typically you have different types. Two that we talked about here were rub blocks or force actuated um, sensors. And then we talked about the different configurations that you might see in practice. So sort of a minimum set configuration might be a pair of sensors at the head and a pair of sensors at the boot. Uh, and that way you're, you know, monitoring whether or not the, the belt's moving side to side. That could be from the belts being misaligned or it could be from the pulleys being misaligned as well. And we talked about when you might consider having additional sensors there. So this could be in the head. We talked about two possibilities here, the casing deforming on one side or the other or bending on one side or the other. Um, bearing failure causing shifting of the shaft. And if that's shifted in the direction away from the sensor, then you could have it hitting the, the casing without hitting the sensor. So that was the considerations in the head. And then the boot, you have similar considerations, but you have additional complexity because the boot is where um, the the slack might be taken out of the belts, where you can uh, remove that slack as it stretches and pulls as well. And then you also have the case where the pulley, the pulleys and the belts might have different kind of levels of slipping as well. So in that case, you may see more sensors put on for those reasons. So a really kind of interesting topic, quite a bit of detail. You say, you know, alignment uh, sensors on bucket elevators, and that's usually the end of the story. Well, we just talked about it for 40 minutes. Uh, and sounds like there's more of a story for that. We visited a topic of cutting through rub blocks impromptly, impromptu, I guess, in the episode. So I have heard instances, again, after incidents where that was how they determined what the ignition source was. The, the rub block was in two pieces and the belt head went to the casing, which caused the ignition of the material. And we had some considerations on where that might happen, especially with belt splicing. And if you have multiple splices, that being enough to kind of chip away at that rub block over time. Um, we talked about some other considerations there. So it's a really interesting episode. I would encourage you to get questions about hazard monitoring for bucket elevators or drag conveyors or chain conveyors or anything like that. Uh, Brian, again, is a wealth of knowledge in this area and will have his contact details in the show notes of this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 244. If you have any other questions um, for us at the podcast, you can reach out myself at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. We'll get those put through the health desk system as well. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to Dust Safety Science Podcast this week. Hope you have a safe to productive week ahead and I appreciate everything you're doing. Industries handling combustible dust, making them safer the work you're doing out there. Keep it up.